Growth Pod is brought to you by Genero, a leading growth agency in the Nordics. We interview marketing experts, business leaders, and entrepreneurs to uncover the stories and strategies behind profitable growth. This is a conversation with Carl Andersson, co-founder of online grocery store Matsmart. Matsmart has helped save over 60,000 tons of food and consumer products from going to waste by instead selling them directly to consumers at big discounts. The company was founded in 2014 and has grown rapidly to over 100 million euros in revenue across five markets in Europe. We talked about raising over 200 million euros in funding, trends in the food e-commerce space, marketing, advertising, international expansion, and a lot more. Please enjoy this conversation with God Anderson. It's been um it's been a pretty wild year um, last year for you. Um, you ended the news or kind of ended with with news in November that you closed a funding run. I think it was forty million euros. Yeah. And if if I read correctly, if I um, the valuation did not change from the previous funding round, is that disclosed or is that is that the case? That's exactly uh, that's how you should read it. I mean, I, I would say that we kind of pretty much did a flat round uh, yeah though but it was a crazy ride right that we had we actually had a lot of interest around the company and so on um, but there is always you know it's always this uh, yeah it was a very very weird year last year so uh, yeah. a lot of uncertainties and so on but we you know, we have really good investors on board already that supports the company really, really well, and we're really happy to have them on. Uh, and but and also now it's a fantastic um, add-on to uh, add-on circularity to that crowd, uh, given that uh, you know they are that impact investor that you're looking for, and also that they are very keen on 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 supporting us in scaling this company. So. Fair. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, you mentioned circumstances where conditions, market conditions were really tough. And to be able yeah. to raise that kind of money and at a flat valuation, I think is very incredible. Um, so definitely want to talk a little bit about fundraising because you've done a lot of it and and some of the lessons learned. But first, let's let's start with uh, with Motsmart. Where did the idea come from? Because your background, if I read it correctly, is mostly in sales working different yeah. different types of sale roles and this is obviously it seems like a very very different kind of thing so so where did the idea come from um that led you to start co-found modsmart 10 years ago you're right i mean i've been working with sales ever since i left school basically uh and and uh, you know being sales manager and sales director and, and having different roles within media and other companies and i've also run uh before modsmart i i um, I've had a, a couple of ventures before this one, so um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, Motsport is a it's a fantastic story, right? Because it's a friend from uh, where I used to grow up, so to tell you, just you know, 30 50 minutes outside of Stockholm, um, who owns a supermarket store, Eric, yeah, and uh, you know, he's seeing every day good things going to waste getting super frustrated about all of this and uh, you know when people come up to him in the store saying like uh, hey i how can you sell this pasta it's you know it's best before date is only like a week left or i mean how can you even sell this in the store you know and then eric you know came to discuss with them and say like but when i going to eat this and what do you think will happen to this pasta after a week and they said, like, yeah, but I'm, this is something I will eat, to, of course, tonight. Uh, I mean, then I don't understand these conversations. And, and this was back in 2013, 14, something-ish. Um, and, uh, you know, when Eric had one of his suppliers came up, coming up to him and said, you know, I have a problem with this short-dated good. Uh, and that being a Christmas soda and no one wants to buy it anymore. Could you please help me out a bit? Eric said, like, you know what? I'm happy to help you. Um, I I will buy everything you have, but I will only pay you a third of what you're asking. So that's how it started. So they tried that, you know, Christmas soda. And this now was in springtime. So everything was a bit weird, right? Selling Christmas soda springtime. 
So his customers came up to him and, you know, instead of complaining, you know, how could he sell things that just had a week left? They said like, wow, it's amazing that you sell Christmas soda in May. I'm fantastic. So uh, that gave Eric a lot of confidence. So, uh, you know, he, he tried out others, uh, you know, he uh, challenging goods. He, he started to, to speak to all his um, suppliers if they had any problems and so on and so forth. And um, after a few months, he had a store with all of this exciting assortment. And, uh, you know, a, a really cool thing was that the, the, the frequency to the store really picked up. So people came in through the door just to see what's on sale. You know, what kind of weird assortment do Eric have today? So that became, you know, something really good. Um, yeah, on the flip side to that, I guess, um, the normal assortment didn't get touched. So that was one problem. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, average order value kind of dropped. So he said to himself, okay, okay this is a good idea. The challenging thing is, though, that the the uh, um, it doesn't really fit uh, in my store, and um, yeah. So he gave me a call, and we we sat down to discuss it. I brought in my friend Uffe, and the three of us kind of you know started to look and you know t- twist and turn this idea around, and we realized very quickly that this was such a big problem. It was a massive problem with this food waste, not something that was you know local to Eric's store. So that was the first thing we saw. The second thing we saw was that, you know, the frequency that Eric kind of noticed in the store selling, you know, off-price off goods, um, that we saw all over, right? You see it in Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, and so on, and all other outlets, I guess. So we said that, okay, that's also very interesting. And to that, uh, we saw that food online was about to happen in Ocado and all others. So combining this tree, yeah, I, uh, yeah, made this into a really, really interesting uh, business idea. So we decided to do that. We decided to only sell dry goods uh, and uh, use third-party logistics, uh, and in that way, can uh, be able to reach the full length of the country and and. Uh, and also the full length of, of the Nordics, right? Um, so um, that was a few dis- decisions that we took. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, a few, I think it took us like eight weeks or something like that to, to get going. And in January uh, 2014, we launched a site. Uh, so, so I guess that's how it came about. Amazing. Um, it really started from observing a problem and then coming up with a solution. First, could we put some numbers on that? Because you hear a lot about food waste and how much is, is being thrown out at different parts of like the, the value chain. But what are we talking about here? And, and how much has you got, How much have you guys been able to kind of save uh, by, by uh, being able to sell these products that otherwise would have been thrown out? I mean, one needs to understand that this is a massive problem. Uh, and, you know, now having learned some about it, I, I say that, you know, this is probably one of our time's biggest issues. If we don't solve the problem with food waste, we will never be able to face our, uh, the climate changes that we are facing. Right? Um, so, so one third of everything being produced is actually being thrown away. So that's how big this problem is. And throwing uh, in a few more numbers in there, I think we've saved more than 60,000 tons of food somewhere around there. Uh, and that's, of course, a massive number, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, we turned something that, you know, no one wanted to look at into a venture that, that now sells food every day and turns roughly around, what, 1 billion CX, 100 million euros, uh, even more than that. Uh, so, of course, uh, I, I think, you know, the food industry is such a big one. Uh, and um, it, uh, we expect, uh, you know, our, our store, the physical store, to look exactly the same, regardless of, 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 of the time of, of, of year it is. Right, so uh, that of course creates a lot of pressures on the 
um, producers, suppliers. I mean, these wheels they really need to keep turning. And um, yeah, that's also why these numbers are so huge. Yeah, I've thought about that. Just going into you know a supermarket in the middle of winter throughout the year and finding these perfect bananas and all these per you know this shelf of perfect bananas and when you think about just a logistical nightmare or <laughs> that is required to deliver that experience every day like you said you understand that there's got to be a lot of waste in the process yeah. a lot of added cost um you mentioned that you kind of were able to turn this thing that that uh, no one wanted to look at into this this really now successful established thing what was it like in the beginning did did customers understand what what you were about did they was it you know immediate traction or did you have to go through this process of educating people about like you said expiry dates and what kind of food you can eat when and, and things like that how, how did that process look like yeah it's interesting thanks so i mean first of all we created a new category um you know selling something that no one sold previously of course you know you, you can see, see off prices in the stores as well but not only zooming in on that niche. So that we were very, very alone on. Uh, so that was the first thing. Uh, and uh, when we launched the site, we didn't know how green we could say that we were. Would people really buy old food? Because when you started to talk to people about the idea, I mean, just a correction, we don't sell old food, but we do sell you know, food that has some kind of challenge or closest best forward date or, you know, when we nowadays talk about closest best before date, it has roughly around 30 days left. So three zero. So it's a lot of days, right, to consume that good that you buy from us. Anyways, so in the beginning, it was very hard for us to know how green could we say that we were. So we started to say that we were kind of green and or ish green or ish saving the world something. Uh, and the cool thing was that the customers really supported us in, in, in that transformation from, from just saying that we were doing something good to that we were saving the world. Because they kind of, everything they bought from us, they photo it and they pictured it. They published those pictures on Instagram and Facebook and where else. And they were like, I'm saving the world. So they were, <laughs> uh, they were very much like uh, they uh, they were doing this together with this company and they were bragging about it. So that was actually the best thing that could happen for us, and it gave us a lot of confidence and courage to say that yeah, we are an impact company. We do this. We have a mission to to change the world, and uh, yeah, and 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 it has been a happy collaboration since then with our customers, I guess. You, very cool. So you kind of at the very beginning you found these the the early adopters, the ones who really I care guess. about the impact. Yeah, mm. and now I guess you you've been part of growing this category to the point where um, I, I I suppose it's a lot more broad. Could you talk a little bit about like the what does a user kind of customer behavior look like? Do you have a small group of power users that are just buying, you know, almost shopping exclusively at least dry goods from you guys, or is it just a lot of people buying quite infrequently? What what does that kind of kind of look like, and is it different from like a traditional grocery store, if you will? I mean, we have something completely different, right? Because what we offer on a Tuesday, we can't offer the same assortment on a Thursday given that uh, we sell that thing, you know, the things that we found, find um, at that moment. And given that we have so good prices and limited volumes, we sell out very, very uh, quickly. So that's the first thing, right? And um, um, to this, I, 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 I also would say that uh, we, uh, it's, we have a very wide range of customers. So on one end, we have the ones that buys from us simply because they want to save the world. And on the far end of that spectrum, we have the, you know, the ones that buys from us simply because they want to save their wallet or, you know, they're on a budget. And smack in the middle, we have the family on a budget, I guess. Right. Uh, so that's very much how it is. And, and then these customers, customer group that we have, 
have different kind of, of behaviors. And, and a lot of these customers go in more or less, you know, weekly, daily, just to see what's on sale. Can I, you know, does this fit my normal shopping routine or my, my, my normal basket and so on? Yes, now they have my cereals and they have my Coca-Cola. Okay, uh, let's go for it. Now I, I'll finish my, my order and, and check out. So that's very much how, how it works and very opportunistic. Then you also have the, the, the even more loyal group that only buys, you know, their pasta and rice and so on and so forth from us. Um, they, they, how should I say, I mean, they, they, they come back every month and they do this kind of purchase or even more frequently, actually. Uh, so I, I guess those are, 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 are the kind of needs we, we of course, serve. Um, if I should add anything to that, I, you know, they are the ones that maybe stock up even more. You know, they, they buy a few times a year and they really stock up. So uh, you also have them, I guess. Yes, it's really across the board. And it makes sense because the business model is such a win-win. It's good for the, the wallet. It's good for the, the planet. Um, and it's, it's good for you. Just to make sure I understand, are you buying most of these products from producers or, or from the retailers? Where, where does it yeah, come from? Sorry, I should have been more clear about that. So everything that we buy are, is from producers or manufacturers um, across. And, and, um, yeah, so, so the biggest suppliers you can even imagine. I mean, Unilever, Nestle, Coca-Cola, all of these guys, right? And also, of course, a lot of the smaller ones we also buy from. Right. But, uh, yeah, has, not from any stores. Got it. Has any store, uh, whether it's like Ica in Sweden or, or Gescord, um the S Group here in Finland, has any store kind of ventured into this kind of um, offered something similar to what you guys are doing in any of the markets that you're in? I mean, they, of course, sell things that they have a problem with and they, you know, they have a lot of own assortment these days. So you can, you know, I, I think especially the times we're in, you can see in the stores that they have a lot of more kind of special offerings and so on. So absolutely, but not in the focused, uh, niched way that we do it. No, we haven't seen that. I'm guessing that focus and that, that taking that really, really narrow approach helps when it comes to building building the brand, top of mind awareness in, in the category. And um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the the messaging and the creative that you have. You've had, sure. I don't know if you're running this right now, but at least in the past, you've had these TV commercials that are very, um, like they're almost jarring, like they're so striking. And so um, I, maybe I'll put some some links to it in the show notes, but can you talk about what led you to kind of come up with that very, shall we say, provocative uh, creative strategy around around the messaging? It's a development, right? To go, uh, we we started somewhere. Not to talk, we didn't know how how much to talk, how much we could talk about it, but until that we do this together with our customers, and I think that that journey has always been. We've been, we love this. We we love selling, saving, selling food. We love it. We think it's just you know the best thing in the world, right? And we let that show. So we invite the customers, you know. In the beginning, we, we, every time we got, uh, I don't know, a special kind of goods on for sale, we, you know, we, we did a, our own kind of a, a movie with, a, with the iPhone saying, you know what, right now we have crazy deals on this chocolate bar, yada, yada, yada. And uh, we did something cool around that and, and, and just posted it. Uh, so we have always had this... Uh, I don't know, a fun thing to it. We want it to be fun. And if, you know, we also, we, we, in the beginning, we spoke a lot about, you know, let's save the world and good prices. And that, that tri- triangle has, that, those base of, of, of that triangle has always been important. But then we wanted the, the fun part of that to be a triangle. And uh, in the beginning, we did a lot of these kind of, um, uh, marketing and brand building by ourselves uh, um, uh, but then we I mean very early on we decided that we wanted to go international and uh, then we needed to have like a bigger brand a brand that said a bit more that have a um, yeah 
more body to it, I guess, and more story to it. So we we started to to meet different kind of uh, advertising agencies and so on, and we ended up working with TBWA, and uh, they really supported us in building this international brand. And you know, them have have kind of found or navigated that journey together with us, and 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 really came to the point where you know it should be fun. <laughs> we shouldn't have any. You know pointers, or, or we we shouldn't be bashing every anyone if they don't if they are not doing everything right. We should rather be invited yeah, everyone to join the fight against food waste and you know being kind of rebellic about that. So so that has very much been, been what we were trying to look for. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah, big problems, complex problems. And package them in in something that is fun and invitive, I guess. Yeah, I I was looking through the your ad library on Meta. Uh, you're running a ton of ton of ads there, and and uh, a lot of very, very kind of uh, some weird ones as well. But centered around this idea that it's, there's nothing more stupid than wasting good food. And I definitely could pick up on on this not taking yourselves too seriously and wanting to have fun with this, like you said, complex problem presented in a way that everyone can participate. So it seems like that strategy has really paid off for you guys and allowed you to speak to very, very broadly. Yeah, I mean, if you look, it's very hard these days to do something good for the environment. It's both expensive and, and, and hard and most of all really boring. I mean, maybe the, the fun, the other fun companies maybe would be to drive an old Tesla, but not everyone can do that, right? Uh, so... Uh, that has been made very much our starting point that like it shouldn't be that hard it shouldn't be that complicated and it should be um yeah you, it shouldn't be boring it should be fun doing shit like that i mean that's very much how how, how we we started to think about it um yeah yeah i think that really really shines through in the in in the messaging there is there anything in terms of you know channels or, or tactics or tools that has been particularly effective for you when it comes to just driving signups, getting new people to try the service? Or is it just a matter of getting the word out there, trying different media media placements? Yeah, we, we, we have tried everything, of course. We've tried Facebook, Instagram, Google, you know, uh, TV and radio and all of that, right? Um, but the thing that was most... The, the the absolute best channel for us in the beginning was of course Facebook because it was so easy for us to invite others to join in so that was we really liked that format um, and uh, every in, in, in the first year I think every Friday we, we had a, a really long blog post saying like these this has happened this week. We're so excited, yada yada yada, and um, yeah, and, and it got so many likes, and everyone loved it, and so on. So we went to this um, oh, some special, you know, specialists and agencies in good Google advertising and, and Facebook and so on, and they uh, we asked them, you know, what do you think? I mean, please advise us here. We don't know shit about this, and you know, please help us. And they they said like. First of all, you really need to stop doing all of this writing and these long posts. That's just stupid. Please stop doing that. And then we will start thinking about what you could do uh, instead. Uh, so we stopped doing that. And the funny thing was that the customers reached out and they say, Hey, where are you guys? We want to hear more. What happened this week? And, and so on. So, yeah, we never, we never, we haven't stopped. We have changed it, of course, a bit now, but uh, we kept on kind of telling the story and we know how, uh, how our customers really like that. Uh, so, um, we also have used that in other channels. So, I mean, PR has been a very, very important part of our mix. Um, maybe not so every thought through uh, or you know we've been very in, um, adventurous in, into that channel or, 
or way of communicating. So if we got any new suppliers on, we told a story about that. If we, um, if you know, did an error on the site or if uh, something went down, we told a story around that. You know what happened and. Uh, and and we got really lucky to get uh, a lot of publications around that and and um, uh, yeah that of course gave us confidence to continue doing that so we have been uh, using PR a lot uh, and and also tried to be very honest about our our journey. I think that's so interesting because what you're saying is you just kept on communicating. And, and sharing what was happening. And I think that that is so underutilized by so many businesses is that we get so accustomed to to what we're doing that we think that everyone knows about it or everyone does not want wants to hear about it. But if you're constantly just giving people, um, especially in the beginning, as you have these, you know, this early, this, this customer base of um, early adopters who are really actually interested in what you're doing because they're actively contributing to solving the problem together with you. Um, and, and then it's just about figuring out like the different, the different media and, and different channels and, and maybe the creative strategy around it. But the core idea of let, let's be really active in telling, telling our story and what's happening. I think that's really, uh, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I very much believe in, you know, to be a bit, I mean, as transparent as you can be and maybe not too thought through every time more kind of playing around with it and inviting others to be part of your company or your venture i think that is something that is very powerful and yeah it's almost that they are also running the business in some way yeah are you measuring because a lot of this is is about getting that top of mind awareness and also expanding the category are you measuring that kind of brand awareness or are you mostly paying attention to um, to the revenue customer acquisition costs things of that nature no, I mean we're of course measuring, you know, the brand awareness. I don't, I, am not on top of, of all numbers. I know that we have more than seventy percent of our brand awareness in Sweden. That I know. Uh, I think it's, oh, thirty or oh, I, 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 I shouldn't throw any more numbers in there. But I know that this is something that we're following every day, and and it's very important. But there are others these days looking in, into those numbers. It's something I see month by month more or less. Yes, seventy percent in in your home market. That's very incredible. And we talked about like that's seven million yep. Swedes or <laughs> something mm. like that. Totally um, crazy. Yeah, it's um, okay. And you now you're in five countries, I think. So the Nordics plus Germany or uh, Germany plus Austria, maybe. Exactly, Germany, Austria, uh, Germany, Austria, uh, Sweden, Finland, Denmark. Exactly. Got it. What was that like going? Was uh, which country was the first one after Sweden? Was that which? Which did you go to Denmark? No, we went Norway. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so why, <laughs> tell that, me about that. Yeah. No. Exactly. We 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 kind of said to ourselves, it's so much more expensive with food in Norway, right? So why not Norway? Let's start somewhere, and we always decided and I always knew that we were to expand and show that this is not something that is a Swedish thing it's something more than that and we wanted to try out a new market so we did a very kind of bootstrapped uh, expansion to Norway um, that we opened it up like, like a border shopping thing and then we got so much traction so we want we needed to ship in all the way into Norway and realized fairly quickly that this was really expensive, given that, you know, they have sugar tax and they have a lot of other penalty taxes if you're not kind of producing things in Norway. So we, we kind of stepped away from that very, very quickly. But then we stepped into Finland uh, and that was really interesting and, and, and uh, has been a very good uh, learning for us. Uh, and the important thing after that was we wanted to show that this was something it's not a nor it's not a nordic thing this is something that it's more than that we believe that this is of course a european opportunity and even more so a global opportunity and uh, by saying that we wanted we needed to take actions right and, and uh, the first thing was to to say okay what countries should we then be in I and mean, we should probably be in, in in the biggest food markets 
and two of them we kind of zoomed in on was of course Germany and, and the UK. And um, every investor we spoke to and, and, and took advice from that, uh, you know, because we of course needed some capital to move into these markets, so that whatever you do, don't go into Germany because that's uh, they will hammer you. They will you. They will not leave uh, and let you out alive. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but why don't you, you know, have your eyes more towards uh, I don't know. I mean. Holland, the Netherlands, somewhere around there. I mean, those guys, they look like you, they think like you, they talk almost like you. Look towards them. And, you know, that made us think like, okay, so that would then mean if we succeed there, they will still say that we haven't really succeeded in any major market. So we said to ourselves, I mean, the biggest and most fierce market in, in, in Europe would be Germany. So, you know, let's let's just go in there. So um, we put our, all our bets on one card and, and uh, yeah, we, we stumbled our way in there and uh, found really, really strong team and uh, great investors. And uh, yeah, it was a success. It took some weeks to figure out the market or crack the market, uh, of course, or crack the market. Please withdraw that, but you know, start to, to understand that what we were doing at least. Uh, and then, uh, after doing that and getting the first suppliers on, uh, and getting the you know, the, the four first orders out and getting Google to work, we uh, yeah, we had a liftoff, and uh, that was really really strong. Um, and now we, I mean. Um, the German markets is uh, will soon kind of uh, sail, uh, oh, be bigger than the Swedish market. So um, yeah, we're really really happy about that launch. That's incredible. I very kind of courageous, like you said, placing everything, putting everything on that one one bet. But I'm guessing you, you kind of thinking was if we're able to validate that this works in Germany, then the value of the company um, increases substantially because right now it's. It, creates a lot bigger opportunity. Um, I know, I mean, Germany is very different from Sweden in terms of, for instance, just, you know, e-commerce, uh, online shopping behavior and things of that nature. So was there anything you had to adapt when you went to Germany or did you kind of take the, the Swedish playbook and locally translate it just into, into German and, and um, click play? No, but you're, you're onto something here. I mean, it's a, of course, you know, millions adjustments, right? Millions, uh, small and tiny bits and, just how you communicate and uh, apps, you know I mean, so, so there have been so many small adjustments, but if you look at it as a, in a broader perspective and, and really zoom out, yeah, we have the same business in Germany as we have in Sweden. We, we buy the same things, the offerings are kind of the same. Um, the communication are, you know, a bit tweaked, but yeah, we're, we're, we're almost kind of saying the exact same, using the, the more or less the same ads. So um, I, I think it's a, a clear proof that this model works in multiple markets. And it's uh, saving the world, saving food, and doing something good is something universal. Yeah, totally. Just out of, you know, got me thinking, there was, was there two years ago when there was this big hype of these hyper fast uh, grocery startups that came up the biggest one i think in europe was in germany gorillas they yeah. raised like over a billion euros in in a year or something yeah. like that insane um that model has not as far as i can tell worked out that well i think a lot of these companies had to shut down um do you think that obviously their play was pure convenience and quick 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 um do you think that that is the way, direction in which the kind of the food the food shopping is going to go or is it going to be more on value or is there going to be room on this huge market for for kind of both opportunities because obviously you guys are focused more on the value piece and of you know in, in addition to the impact piece of it or are you also then looking to add kind of convenience and, and speed to the equation it's kind of a broad mm. question but where do you think the whole food um, grocery market is gonna is gonna evolve. 
Yeah, you know what? It's really hard, right, to to know. I don't think there there is a simple answer to that question. But 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 what what really was astonishing to to witness was the herd behavior during the pandemic because all of a sudden everything changed, and the quick commerce was the new thing, the new orange or whatever you say, uh, and um, uh, all of a sudden. Everyone needed to have milk, you know, by their door within 10 minutes. That was all of a sudden, you know, that everyone believed in. And they all, everyone also thought that this would not go away. So I, that combination, of course, made them a, a triple unicorn overnight. So that was, of course, really exciting to see. Um, but now, I mean, we are in, in, in a new situation again and that where, where maybe you and I we're not looking for that kind of service anymore or not at least in, in that extent. It could be nice, right? I, I'm doing pancakes here and I'm out of milk. I mean, please help me out. And there, there's a gorilla, right? So that's amazing. But I think I think I, I read somewhere that the long live the niche, right? So I think the niches uh, that uh, w- will be the winners. I think it would be very hard for finding the, this br- broad concept that kind of takes over the world. Everyone wants one type of service. Um, and, and I think, you know, the freedom of choice that is so strong, right? We, we have internet, we can sh- choose whatever we like. We could have you, you can have one white sneaker and one white, and, and that's a perfect match for you. And yeah, so I, I, I think no one really have cr- cracked the food question as a whole. Uh, and uh, you know, to do everyday grocery shopping, it's you know not everyone um, can plan it or 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 are made that way that they they like to plan their grocery shopping. Like, I don't know, I, I I shop a lot with my emotions. Today I feel like having I don't know chicken spaghetti or something, <laughs> and then that inspiration comes to me going into the store maybe. And that is really hard to create something like that online. Um, but on the other hand, you could, of course, you know that in the future, you will do, make, do uh, I don't know, spaghetti dinners for a long time ahead, right? So you could bunker up on that. So maybe there are, you know, these niches that could work. But uh, I now understand that this was a terrible way of, of responding to your smart and bright question. No, not but, at all. Not at all. I I'm think trying that... to find my way through this because it's it's really tricky, right? There's not one simple answer to it. No, and the, I mean the thing is, the grocery global grocery market is so humongous that even if you're able to, any niche inside that market is going to be very, very, very attractive to, yeah. to kind of as a growth opportunity. Um, you mentioned also. I mean, you expand. You, you set your sites in Germany. That's been really successful. You also went to the UK, and I think it was last year you decided to pull back because the changing market conditions meant that it's not lo- it's not really going to be possible to finance this long term bet, um, even if you have conviction in the market and in your product. But just knowing that this can take too long, we won't be able to make it work. So, I think it's safe to say you guys kind of made a, a pretty hard left turn to focus on profitability. Can you talk about what that meant for the the company? Um, were you previously in this kind of like growth, 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 um, stage and everyone from the, you know, the, every team member was kind of focused on just the growth KPIs. And then you had to make this hard, hard, uh, hard kind of pivot or what did that transition look like? Was it, was it as dramatic as, as that? Yeah. I mean, we, we needed to step out of the market and, and that affected a lot of people. So that was of course dramatic and I'm really, you know, sad that we need to, needed to do that. But I'm also very happy that we, you know, ha- now have a sane way forward, where we are building a profitable model, um, and we have really, as you said, I mean, yeah, pivoted a bit, right? We we are now only zooming in to to uh, to turn profitable, and that's that's the main objective now. And um, uh, it, it it did change the way we internally look at our, our journey ahead. But again, we have also 
we have really ambitious goals. So it didn't take away that we are we are still a very much of a growth company. So you know all of that kind of culture stayed within the walls. Um, but maybe we adjusted a bit to the environment around us. Because what is cool about our company, I mean, regardless for what weather it's outside and what climate, financial climate or uh, normal weather, I guess, uh, we have continuously grown and we have been growing in the same kind of rapid pace. So that is that is something that is very important to say. And we have been simultaneously uh, as we've been growing also been focusing on, on on profitability so i mean we already last year turned profitable for the swedish market and we will already this year be profitable for the full of the nordics and next year for for germany and more or less as a, a whole group so it's a it's amazing actually to to see this happening in, in front of our eyes um, and um, we have now uh, found a way of, of really, um, you know, dealing with the cost for <laughs> or cost some way, you know, dealing with these um, uh, low margin goods uh, in automating our warehouse. So we're really, really, really happy about finding the, that cool way. And we now have a, a lot of support from robots picking and packing our boxes on that something that is really cool and a big investment but i would say it, it was very tough for us to both kind of doing that and also asking for money for even more growth so we fo- focused on the market that we're on and, and uh, zoomed in on that 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 makes a lot of sense and um go turning profitable turning profitable as i believe i read that kind of the first european grocery Online uh, grocery e-commerce business that that it will be able to do that. So that's pretty incredible. It really shows that the model is working. Um, also, it will, if not eliminate, at least reduce your dependence on going to investors for more capital. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about fundraising because you've done, like I said, a lot of it. Something like two hundred million euros in total, about there. Yeah. Um, I think you said. Uh, there was an article inter- interview with you where you talked about some of the pressure, the the stress that it, that adds, kind of like all having to chase, having to chase um, investor money, keeping the valuations going up, which of course brings along with it added expectations of future growth. Uh, would you, would you, would you, how do you think about that whole piece? Because obviously it comes at a cost, right? At the same time, to build this business, you needed to get to a certain scale, which requires capital. So, so is there anything you'd change about how you've gone about it if you were to do it over, or, or kind of was it, was this the right way to go, all things considered? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, looking for capital, meeting really intelligent and you know, smart people, and, and telling them about your company and getting them excited about your company, the the vision you're building the um yeah the ideas you have to to create this amazing company and so on and getting their acceptance is probably the wrong word but more you know they that they they agree that yeah this sounds reasonable right and 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 from that point and getting them in the boat and and you know following your journey ahead that is a really really interesting and uh, valuable uh, Oh, it's a it's a great journey anyway. I mean, I, we have learned so much. Uh, I I don't know how many rounds, capital rounds raised we have done. I, I would count it as maybe six or seven or something like that. And every time you come back after one of those kind of ventures, you uh, you need to change as a company. So I put a lot of pressure on you, right? To you know now we're we not only promised a lot of things to happen, but we also learned a lot of things and said that, you know, these are good ideas. Let's try to implement them as po- soon as possible. And also, I mean, the capital that is, is getting deployed here needs to, you know, find, uh, yeah, do something positive with the valuation of the company, right? In a very, very short time, period of time. So you need to make all of these changes to happen very, very fast. So... 
but all of that is super 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 exciting um the 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 downside of, of all of this is of course it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time from you away from you know building the company so that is one thing and it takes a lot of time also you know thinking about this i mean yeah will we get funded this time you know will i be able to pay salaries next month i mean you're you you know at some point you're down to that you know how many months do we have left on our bank account um and you know waking up every morning and, and looking at the bank account so did we get this right i mean oh yeah okay now we know roughly around how long we should live i mean all of that puts a lot of pressure to to on you and so on and on the team um then you um yeah you need to stay resilient to all of those feelings and and you need to uh, mentally be very very strong to you you know and, and guide your team that say you know we will make this happen uh so of course there's a lot of pressure right on the uh, you as an entrepreneur um if you fail this uh, or at least that how i thought about it is like Shit, I can't fail this because if I fail this, everything I build up will go down the drain. And, uh, and also, you know, the things I promise people around me and so on will also be lost. Yeah. So I guess those are the emotional things that you, you were kind of asking about here. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it sounds like it's really important to know yourself. Like either you're a person who can deal with those expectations and that pressure and that responsibility, or you're someone um, who would prefer maybe to take it a little bit slower, think a little bit smaller, but um, be able to do it at a different pace and maybe perhaps on your own terms, as opposed to this, you know, because investors, they want to see growth quarter of a quarter, whatever the period is, like they, they don't really care about <laughs> if there was something no, going right. on, they want to see, they want to see the numbers go up. So I guess it's about knowing yourself and what's what's right for you and your business. Hmm. I don't know. I think endurance is the right word. I mean, you really need to hang in there and and and, and not give up. And and you know, for us, to this point has been ten years of that. I think that uh, this last round took us to full profitability and and fully funded. So we're super happy about that. That we don't need more capital just to get you know keep on running. Uh, if we ever take on more capital, it would probably be to you know expand somewhere else or do something other exciting things. But we should now be a self-funded uh, company uh, from from now on onwards, and then that's a it's a great feeling. Yeah, after ten years, six, seven rounds to be able to get to that point, I think yeah, that must feel really incredible. Um, so, kind of the the strategy going forward is focusing on these markets that you're in right now, getting to profitability, and then, you know, maybe looking at what's out there in terms of new markets or, or maybe other, other kinds of opportunities. Is that kind of how you think about it? I mean, we're, we're still very much um, still on that growth journey, as I, I mentioned, and, and uh, we're very much keen to show that this is still a very much of a global opportunity. So, I would say that we haven't even started yet. I think that is a sentence I would like to, you know, that 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 is that, that is the sentence that I keep in my head at least. That's it's really good. Um, you stepped away from the role as CEO, I believe, it was last year. So now you're uh, involved, but not in a uh, operational kind of day-to-day -day capacity. So just on a personal level, what are you currently, is, is ModSmart still the sole focus of what you're doing or are you also exploring other, other ventures or other, other ways to, uh, other types of, uh, types of work? Yeah, but exactly. I stepped down as CEO uh, after 10 years and it was such a, <laughs> it was a really weird feeling, I'll tell you. I mean, the first couple of weeks was really, really weird, you know, uh, I think that a job as a startup CEO is like you work 24-7 and doing that for 10 years, it does things to you, right? And and um, all of a sudden that it, that goes away a bit and uh, 
Yeah, that was weird. But now I very much enjoy it. I uh, I'm still in the company. I I do a lot of the. Uh, I've been trying out new things. I mean, along the way has been a lot of these tingling, tangling, exciting things around the company that we haven't been able to kind of look into or zoom into and and try out. So those are uh, business developing things I'm 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 doing right now. So I I find that really really. Yeah, fun to do. So that is what I'm doing. I'm also supporting a few companies um, right now, uh, and I hope to do even more of that uh, in the future. Uh, and and still being able to continue supporting uh, Motato Smart Smart um, as we yeah move forward and grow. So I'm on the board uh, of Mot- Smart Motatos and, and a few other smaller companies. It would be re- uh, really rewarding to be able to step away from kind of like the day-to-day of a company that you for 10 years kind of led to this critical point in the company's trajectory and then kind of watch, not from the side, I mean, still working, but but kind of more more from the sidelines watching it. I mean, the you know, the next 10 years could see it go from, you know, 100 million to, I don't know, huge, 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 huge. Yeah. Still, I mean, it's huge now, but uh, even even much more so. Oh, I'm excited to to see wh- how big we now can grow this. I think there is so much more potential yet to, um, yeah, for us to to grab. But absolutely, it's going to be really exciting to see see what you guys uh, get up to. Um, Kalle, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing about the the journey. And uh, for people who want to follow you, are you on LinkedIn anywhere else that? Directed. Yeah, no, LinkedIn is probably a good way to to look into that. There's where, yeah, so absolutely hook, hook me up, reach out, uh, say hi. If you have any cool ideas, I mean, let me know. Perfect. I'll put the, the link in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much. Good luck thank with you. everything you got planned for 2024. And I uh, hope it's, uh, wish you all the best in your, thank in you. your endeavors. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been really interesting and I enjoyed it very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening. You can find all episodes of The Growth Pod on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts.